Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This week on The Insiders, his campaign theme is Rise, but Democratic presidential candidate Cory Booker has not done that so far in the polls. We will talk one-on-one with the senator about his standing, his criticism after a colleague has left the race, and his call for more diversity on the debate stage. And we launch our new effort with the deciders, the key Iowans who will look at Booker and the rest of the candidates to see how they will choose their favorite. Plus, it is not just the angst of going into deep debt for Iowa college students these days, it's also what might seem so basic and that's eating. Find out how widespread the problem of college students struggling to eat really is, plus the effort underway to make sure they get their meals. And in the Insider's Quick Six, one of the candidates has his no malarkey bus tour. So what exactly is malarkey? From your local election headquarters, this is the Insider's with Dave Price. This is the Insiders. All right, about eight weeks until the Iowa caucuses. From now until then, some of the Democratic presidential candidates have an extra challenge to deal with. How do they campaign in this state to try to win on caucus night while also fulfilling their duties if they have to end up presiding over President Donald Trump's impeachment trial in the U.S. Senate? New Jersey Senator Cory Booker is one of those candidates, and he joins us here again on The Insiders. Thanks for coming so back. so good to be here. All right, good yeah, to see you. Thank you. All right, all right, so we've seen Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker's announcement about these articles of impeachment, and now we have an idea about how the House is going to proceed on this. If it goes through this process and ends up in the Senate, you're in a tough spot here, right? January is a critical month to campaign right before the caucuses, but your duty is, of course, to preside in the Senate. So how's that going to work? I do my job. I swore an oath to do my job and you do it. This is not a complicated thing for me. This is about our constitution. This is about something sobering, like removing a sitting president from office. And so politics uh, aside, you just do your job. And we'll have to figure out what to do here on the ground in Iowa, because clearly so much of my strategy in this presidential campaign from the very beginning was to be campaigning in this state and to prove have this be our proving ground like it was for Obama. And I think that's gonna help with our success in other states. So we'll figure out what we need to do, but the first responsibility I have is to do the job I swore an oath to do. How much time did you spend watching the hearings, if any? And do you get any kind of other information as a sitting member of Congress, you know, a cheat sheet or anything? Or how do you know what's going on? No, the Senate doesn't have a cheat sheet. I've, I've tried to watch as much as I can, which has been very little and read as much as I can to stay up on it. But obviously in preparing for a trial, I'm gonna to have to go very deep uh, and uh, master basically the material. Do you have any idea what this would mean if it goes on to the Senate here, what that means for you? Um, it means a lot of time in Washington doing my job and not being, being, being able to be out here. But look, we are rising in this campaign. We're now in the top of the field in net favorabilities. We have more endorsements than uh, every other candidate, so I think me and Elizabeth Warren have the most local leader endorsements in the state. And we've got a great organizing team here. So we're confident we have a lot of those ingredients that have helped previous candidates come in here and win or upset in Iowa. And so 
I'm, I, I'm going to trust my team. And they know what my obligations are, and we're going to try to make it work. And I think Iowans actually will be able to pay attention to uh, the candidates, what they stand for, even if I'm doing things remotely than doing them here. Uh, on Thursday in Des Moines, you gave a pretty passionate speech where you talked about the disappointment that your friend Kamala Harris dropped out of this race. You had talked about it's almost a disservice in the fact that we no longer have an African-American woman running in this race. At the end of the day, how do you judge whether that worked against her, whether it's in popularity, raising money, anything like that, or, you know, no disrespect to what she did. She just wasn't what people wanted. How do you weigh which one happened? Yeah, I think, first of all, let's just talk about people's feelings, because I've had an avalanche of conversations since she dropped out from people that weren't even supporting her. Heck, people from my family just saying, isn't it a shame that she dropped out because she didn't have the resources while billionaires can buy their way onto the stage? And what statement does that make, people are saying, that when you can be so qualified, you could be a statewide elected official from a state of 44 million people, you can create a record in the Senate for yourself, and you can't even let the voters of Iowa decide, uh, you, you, you run out of resources. So I, I just, the point I'm really trying to make is, we are a nation that uh, for our party to win, we have to activate, engage, and excite the fullness of, Jesse Jackson called it the Rainbow Coalition, Obama, people call it the Obama Coalition. That's what it takes to win. Hillary Clinton would be president right now if the African-American turnout in just three states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, was the same as it had been four years earlier. Whoever our nominee is, they're going to need to activate and engage that constituency in the most highest voting rates there are, are black women, and we can't have a have a process that they don't, they don't view as fair and inclusive. But you're not a billionaire, you're still in the race. Uh, I, and again, that's why I'm saying when you're starting to t per get to it in a particularized basis, um, but I will say I've watched things happen different in this election. Kirsten Gillibrand having to pull money away from organizing and doing the things that connect you to Iowa voters in order to try to get herself on, on the debate stage. People entering in this thing, this uh, campaign late and just putting down tens and tens of millions of dollars to pop their polling numbers up. Look, I, I, I think we need to have a constructive conversation in our party because we criticize as a party how billionaires and corporate oligarchs are corrupting the political system. Why are we creating a campaign system that seems to benefit those same forces that we're often complaining about? So is Michael Bloomberg wrong for what he's doing? You know, he's worth $55 billion for the most part. He's not even messing with the early states, including Iowa, and he's focusing on other states. He runs national ads all over the place. He spent 50, 60 million, whatever it is so far. Is that the wrong? Is that not right? Well, I, I let him be his own tactician. I think it's wrong to skip Iowa. Uh, this is to me, been the state that's been calling presidential nominees for a long time. And so I'm investing in here. He's going to have to make his own strategy. But I do uh, believe that we should have a campaign finance system that does not allow uh, such overt uh, uh, over-influence of money as opposed to the values and the virtues that we all hold dear as a nation. Uh, so talking to some of the Iowa activists here, one of the concerns they had with Senator Harris's campaign was that they couldn't figure out exactly what she wants to do on health care. Was she for Medicare for all? Was she not? You know, she had some debate moments where they then had to try to clean up what exactly what she wanted to do. You signed on to Bernie Sanders Medicare for all here. But when you're out campaigning, by the letter of the law, you're not really pushing what that bill says, right? The bill would essentially get rid of private insurance, but you would still allow private insurance in your master plan, right? Let, let's be clear. I'm on a lot of bills in the Senate that I believe in, like the Medicare for All bill, and, and I'm in for a public option bill. Bernie is on a public option bill. 
this, this is not making the perfect the enemy of the good when people in Iowa need good right now. The people that stand up at my, at my, uh, at my town halls and talk about the cost of their prescription drugs or uh, their fears of, of losing out because they have a pre-existing condition. So Obama won by saying, yes, we can. And the operative word there is we. It's not the loudest voice. It's not the plan you unveil. It's what you can get done. And if you can't get all the senators on the stage to agree on Medicare for all, you're not going to get Medicare for all done. It's about building the coalitions. I'm the guy that my whole career has brought people together in the most difficult of circumstances. I was a mayor of one of our lower income cities and had created transformative change by creating those coalitions. My message to voters are, we have a broken healthcare system. I believe the best thing would be single payer. But let's be clear, to make that promise, when you can't even get other senators on the debate stage to agree with you, you're not going to be able to get the votes you need in the Senate. Let's tell people right now, I'm going to be the person that every single day is connected to the struggle of Americans right now with health care costs, uh, uh, barriers, prescription drugs that's outrageous. And I'm going to drive that ball down the field by creating the coalitions necessary to get things done. Because I have passed major bills as a freshman senator. I've built the coalitions to the only major bipartisan bill to pass under this president uh, uh, was the bill that I led in the United States Senate with Dick Durbin for criminal justice reform that liberated thousands of people. I have a proven track record under difficult circumstances of making things a lot better for folks who are struggling. On health care, you can be darn well sure I'm the best candidate to get things done. We only have about a minute left in this segment, but talking about uh, criminal justice reform, you would be for the legalization of marijuana. For those folks who have that already on their record or they're perhaps in prison now, what happens to them? Oh, thank you for asking because my bill is a Marijuana Justice Act. As a guy who's never used marijuana, I don't drink alcohol, um, I'm in it for the justice of it. And it's crazy that you have two of the last three presidents admitting about using marijuana, but then, uh, uh, but then people in jail for those things. So uh, records should be expunged. Uh, fundamentally, in fact, we shouldn't talk about legalization if we're in the same conversation we're not talking about the urgency. And that's using, selling, whatever? That is nonviolent marijuana-related offenses. Let's, let's expunge those records. People should not have lifetime sentences. Lifetime sentences. You can't, if you sold some marijuana in college to somebody else, uh, uh, that now you can't get a job, you can't get business licenses, loans from banks. We're destroying people's lives. And by the way, hurting our economy. The cost of marijuana prohibition is costing us hundreds well, of dollars. What if you're a big timer? Not, well, again, not selling a little weed to your buddy, but a big time dealer. Listen, there's, then, then there would probably be a lot more charges that you're guilty of than just selling marijuana. Uh, uh, I'm confident of that. Uh, we need to start talking about this as a restorative justice plan. Uh, not destroying people's entire lives for the worst thing that they have done, which is doing things, again, that we know people in college do or people who are privileged, people in Congress, people in the White House. This is about just having a sensible uh, program about a controlled substance that should be regulated, taxed, uh, uh, and dealt with in a way that we can uh, actually make sure it's safe. Okay, if you can hang tight, we'll have you back for the yeah, quick six here please. at the end of the show. When we come back, though, Iowans, of course, are listening to the senator and the other Democrats to see which one deserves that final vote on caucus night, right? When we come back, we're going to launch our new series with the deciders. Meet these Iowans. We will follow for the next two months to see how they are trying to make up their minds when they have a lot of choices. This week, we began a series of conversations with some Iowans who could prove to be key between now and the February 3rd Iowa caucuses. They've all told us up front that they plan to support a Democrat on caucus night, but they don't know which one. They come from all over our state from a variety of backgrounds. So let's meet these nine Iowans we call the deciders.
I'm Ann Rezarch. I live in Ames. I'm retired, but I work part-time as a mediator for the Polk County Attorney's Office. I'm Kim Diodi, and I live in Knoxville. Uh, my name is Sebastian Morgan. I live in Des Moines, and I am a crime victims advocate for Creative Visions. I'm Robin Thompson. I live in Ames, and um, I'm actually a living caregiver for somebody, so it's me and the gentleman that I caregive for. My Trevor. name is Trevor. I'm from Sioux City. I live in, with my boyfriend in the household, and I'm a criminal defense attorney. My name is Hannah Drollinger. I live in Iowa City. Uh, I live alone, and by trade, I'm a professional musician. I'm Tom Davis. I live in Johnston, and I live alone, and um, I'm a retired Drake professor. Carlos Arguello, uh, self-employed. I live here in Grimes with my <coughs> wife and my two children. And I'm Sandy Glenn from Cedar Falls. I'm a retired, obviously, uh, college professor. Those are our deciders. Now that we know a little bit about them, let's see what life is like for them. They, of course, have many, many choices when it comes to Democratic presidential candidates to support. And with February 3rd approaching, they're starting to narrow down those choices. Thank you. Go on in and have a seat. These nine Iowans all have a list. Thanks for coming. It's not on paper. For these deciders, their list is in their heads. If we can kind of do a status check as you look at this enormous, enormous field. Get a mic. Hold on. Don't say a word. What does that list look like when there are so many Democratic presidential candidates to potentially include on that list? All right, who am I going to vote for? Are you starting to whittle, in, whittle them down a little bit in the sense that maybe I don't know which person I will caucus for, but I know it's not going to be you. I know it's not going to be... Is that a fair assessment? Are you starting to eliminate people? You're not even to that point? No. Okay. But the rest are. Are there more than five on your short list? Who, who still has more than five on your short list? Yeah. Is your short list more than five? I had to use two hands. Yeah. <laughs> so you, 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 you. That's four U's out of our nine people, four whose short list still really isn't that short. Now for the others. So three or four then, three or four. Three or four. Four or five. Okay. All right. So down to one or two. Five. Down to one or two. Well, not one because I'm here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fair point. So you're the only one down to two. Of course, there is still plenty of time to think about this, and there is reason to put so much thought into it. Is there a candidate today, you think? That's Brad Knott. He's a political consultant and the managing partner at State Public Policy Group, the firm that recruited the deciders. You believe could beat President Trump? Then let's just kind of go around. Do you think there's a candidate? Oh, there probably is. I don't know which one. <laughs> <laughs> that is a theme here and also a worry. We'll get to the worry later. First, the theme. I think there's one or two. I agree. More than one. There's more than one. Good. Okay. Same. Could really nail me down Biden and Warren. They need to be at the table. Trevor was the only one to offer specific names. The others stuck to potentials. I think... Um, if they made it to the general election, I think there's a few that would have the potential, but we have to look at who's going to make it to the general election. And, you know, I don't know. My cynicism, I'm just, I just don't know what to expect anymore. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. And that's because they didn't expect Donald Trump to become president in the first place. We have to remember that 
our candidate won the popular vote That's in the right. last sure. election. Yes. Yes. So maybe it's careful working on what we turn out and where we turn out our voters. Being careful. I think there's a couple. Um, I don't know which ones yet. Yeah, I really just don't. I think there are. I'm just not sure which ones yet. What Kim said. <laughs> I mentioned that there was a worry. Here's why. We get what we don't vote for. And I, to get people out to vote, I think, is critical. I'd say I'm tied to the lead. What do you think? Pick the wrong candidate and potential voters get turned away, they fear. We did it once, and now we will do it again. And then Trump could get reelected. And beating President Trump in 2020 more than anything else, that is what matters most to them. Well, yeah. yeah. Now, we talked to them about a lot of things. We talked to them about the issues that matter most to them, how candidates should address those issues, and then that broader argument we're hearing so much these days with progressives, liberals, socialists, about what the direction of the party should be, what the direction of the country should be. We will share those over the next two months here on The Insiders, online, and in our newscast. Up next, see how Iowans are making sure college students are not going hungry while they study for their future. Between classes, exams, assignments, and lining up jobs, college students have plenty to worry about. A new study out there shows an overwhelming number of college students are also worried about their next meal. The rates of hunger and food insecurity among college students are higher than the rest of the nation. This real college survey showed that 45% of U.S. college students reported being food insecure. More than a third of students say they eat smaller meals because they don't have enough money to buy more. And 8% say they go an entire day without food sometimes. Iowa State University is no exception. About 24% of ISU students face food security issues. So at the time of the year that we are thinking about giving back um, and focusing on helping those in our community, uh, this year they just seemed like a great fit for this type of project. So to try to help, Iowa State started an organization called Students Helping Our Peers. It's also known as the shop where students can shop they can stop by, get as much food as they need whenever they need it. The goal is to make sure nobody goes hungry and to raise awareness for the need. When you're like freshman, sophomore, you normally like live in like dorms, so you have meal plans. And it's like you always know where your next meal is coming because you can just swipe in and get food. But then once you're in apartments, it's like, people, that's not like the normal thought that people think of when they think of college students. And um, that's normally where the challenges lie. Uh, one friend said that at the end of the semester, while her friends were going back home, uh, she asked if they had any leftover food that she could have while she was still here in Ames, and she stocked her cupboards and fridge with that. The shop helps more than 30 students a week, and it runs completely on donations. Rise, malarkey, mayor versus mayor, they're all next as Senator Cory Booker returns for the Insider's Quick Six. Welcome back. Time for the Insider's Quick Six. Back with Senator Cory Booker. All right, Senator, question one. The, your campaign theme is rise. In 10 seconds, what does that mean, that theme? It means that we rise together. It means that beating Donald Trump is the floor. It's not the ceiling. It gets us out of a valley, not to the mountaintop. We need to call our country to come together and rise together to the mountaintops to reach the highest of heights. Okay, question two is about somebody else's theme. Joe Biden's been on this no malarkey bus tour. 
Do people know what malarkey means and do you? I, I don't know exactly the technical term of malarkey, uh, but I understand what his meaning is. And that is? That it means, uh, I, I think, uh, no, uh, no BS is a, okay. a polite way of saying that. Uh, question three, a little mayor versus mayor here. You are Newark's mayor, Pete Buttigieg is mayor of South Bend. Why would you be a better choice as a former mayor than Mayor Buttigieg? Well, I don't know his uh, wins as mayor, but God, I was mayor of my state's largest city in the middle of a recession. Brought about brought Newark's biggest economic development turnaround in 60 years, tens of thousands of new jobs, supermarkets and food deserts, transformed our school system, biggest parks expansion in a century. Uh, it's incredible record, doubling the production of affordable housing. So I'm proud of our record and I don't know his. Okay, another comparison. How about Minnesota's Amy Klobuchar? You serve with her in the Senate. She talks all the time about how much she's accomplished there. So people are comparing accomplishments, does she have you? Well, I've been there less time than she has, uh, but I'll tell you this, in, as a freshman senator in the time of Trump, uh, I've actually gotten big legislation done. In fact, the biggest legislation, as I mentioned earlier in the show, to get passed under this one, the one that people said couldn't get done, we passed major criminal justice reform, which is a pretty significant accomplishment. Speaking of the president, question five, how do you describe how you think other countries' leaders look at President Trump. I don't describe it on the Foreign Relations Committee. I see it. Uh, they're afraid about what American leadership has become. Uh, they're worried about clim global climate change, global security, and the way that he's withdrawing from the world and being isolationist. And they're actually frustrated that he has a better relationship with Putin than he does with our allies like Merkel and Macron. All right, minute left here. Finally, your prediction. Uh, my prediction is that uh, J.D. Shulton is going to be the next congressman in, in, uh, in Iowa 4, uh, that he's going to beat King. All right. Uh, one of the things we didn't talk about are polls. You mentioned that Thursday during your appearance in Des Moines. How do you view where the polls show? Well, the polls have never been predictive of who goes on to be president. Nobody in our lifetime, actually, has ever been leading in the polls at this point to go on to the White House from the Democratic Party. And Iowans love to belie what the national polls are saying. Uh, in fact, John Kerry was polling at 4%. John Edwards at 2%, went on to finish 1 and 2 here. Obama was 20 points behind Hillary Clinton around this time. So we're confident that the polls are not predictive. It's the people of Iowa that are in the caucuses, and we know we're positioning ourselves well to win here. All right, Senator Cory Booker, appreciate the time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank Safe you travels. so much. Appreciate you. Let's stay connected throughout the week. See you next week for the Insiders.